0: And
2: broken, the
0: sound
2: of a fight.
1: Father has spoken. Hello, my name is Dave Hanratty and there will be No Popcorn. Welcome to episode 14 of the No Popcorn Movies and Music podcast as part of your No Encore experience, a music-based podcast that I promise you is going to return pretty soon. In the meantime, though, we've been catching up on lots of movies
2: alongside my boy, David Higgins. Dave, good to be back and... uh Covering a movie that seems very dear to your heart. Yeah, I feel like You've I've wanted had to, this for a while. I
1: have wanted this for a while. I feel like I've had to cram in the full like I've had to cram in like a subheading on this episode title because no one's gonna fucking know what artifact is by itself. So it's artifact. It's a thirty seconds to Mars experience. This is a thirty seconds to Mars documentary made by thirty seconds to Mars. Uh, for the benefit of 30 Seconds to Mars I suppose in which they are sued for $30 million by their then record label a few years ago and that is what we'll
2: be up for discussing very very soon. You did not want to do this. Um, I, I'm i pretty agnostic to Jared Leto in general um, I think I, I mentioned before that my only experience of 30 Seconds to Mars is they have a song on guitar, one of the guitar heroes and um, so I knew that by doing this I was probably going to have to listen to this band um which I have done. Well, I made like a, you like a pro. I you, I made you a playlist. He did. You made me a 30-second story's mixtape. It's a shame that it didn't come in a CD where you uh you know, could draw on your own little font on it and you did name it after me, though. That was nice. 30 Seconds to Higgs, yeah. Yes. I
1: should point out that uh, despite my many questionable opinions on music, I'm not a fan of 30 Seconds to Mars. I don't think there's some Uncut gem or anything. Spoilers for a film we're about to talk about in a few minutes. But yeah, I, I we'll get into 30 Seconds to Mars. Let's jump to Uncut Gems, because we're doing our usual what we've been watching in the preceding episode since. We talked about Uncut Gems. I've talked about it. You were dying to see it.
2: You've since seen it. What's the verdict? I absolutely loved it. Um I know that you thought it was it was very good. You probably don't think it was a masterpiece. I'm not ready to go on masterpiece, but I think I liked it a bit more than you. Um, I had a different experience to How I think other people have had with it. People are talking about it being like, a, you know, a white knuckle, uh, you know, anxiety fest. Um, I found it really, really fun and funny, and I like really liked hanging out in that world. Um, the safties have a great way of giving you a sense of place. Like I've never been to New York. I've never been to the Diamond District, but like I felt like I was transported there between. Their locations, um, how they cast—like from the top to bottom, actually—like their casting is is incredible. Like, obviously, Sandler was amazing. Um, but the thing I found amazing in it is just that they they pull these people out of like nowhere. Um, they apparently like like to cast lots of non actors, and you can tell like there's uh, there's one guy that works in a pawn shop, and it's just like these faces. It's just, like, where are you getting them? And the way it's shot by Darius Kanji is just. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um obviously I've talked about my love of basketball before on this podcast, so the fact that um Kevin Garnett is in it and he's great in it. He's like really, really good, really charismatic. Um the way they folded in a real life playoff series into it I thought it was like incredible. Um and the sound in it like from top to bottom. Um obviously Daniel uh, LePatin's score is amazing, but the way that they are able to layer dialogue in it is one of the most... It's the most impressive I've ever seen. Like, I always kind of use the Coens as a benchmark for this. So, like, when we did Inside Blue and Davis, um, I always think of the scene where he's in the office with his uh, with his manager, and you have uh, the manager's secretaries, like, shouting, like, off screen. They do it in a serious man. And, like, with this, the Safdies just, like, ramp that up to, like, such an incredible level. Like, you, you have... Three or four people having four conversations in the frame while a dude is like banging, uh, like a lock <laughs> with a hammer and like a phone's going off, but like it's chaos, but it's so well organized and so coherent. Um, yeah, I just absolutely loved it. Who's the MVP of the movie? Um, I mean, it kind of has to be Sandler, although I will say that, like, Julia Fox, I had never seen him before, I think she's pretty much like a first time find. For the Safis, I thought she was incredible. I think it's her first ever film. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, she was amazing. Um, it was just, again, it was just like, should I know this person? I wasn't like 100% certain that I'd seen them in something before. Um, definitely left a lasting impression. Um, we'll give it a little shout out. Weekend was very good as The weekend.
1: Didn't have to do a lot. And I feel like it was... Muscle memories for him. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Okay. He slipped back into 2012 so easily. We can stick on. We we got a few
1: films here before we get to 30 Seconds to Mars. We got a, we can pick one that we've seen together or we can pick one that we haven't seen together. Whatever you
2: you fancy. It's
1: it's roulette. Bombshell.
2: You went to see Bombshell. Yeah. um, Bombshell. So this is Jay Roach's um, movie about the sexual harassment scandal at Fox News. Um, Kind of. Headlined by, you know, three of the kind of greatest actresses currently working. Well, I would be consensus on them. Um, Charlize Theron and Nicole Kidman and Margot Robbie. It's, you know, there's a lot there. There's a lot in the movie. Like, there's a, a lot that they want to do. It's really, really confusing. Well, not confusing. It's kind of very, very messy. So there's like, there's two movies happening. There's, the there's a, 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 you know, a story about sexual harassment that has been going on for years um, at Fox under Roger Ailes and that's kind of there's a story with um, Margot Robbie's character she's kind of like a composite character but then you also have Charlize Theron as Megyn Kelly who was also harassed by Ailes many 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 years ago but it's also kind of trying to like touch on Megyn Kelly's life around the time that she did the debate the Republican debate and she called out Trump and then she became this uh, enemy of Trump It's a really strange film because it's a movie that puts Megyn Kelly as a hero and also inevitably Rupert Murdoch as kind of like the white knight who kind of saves the day. It kind of made me feel like really uneasy. Um, It doesn't really deliver on either of its strands. And also, I don't think I'm really ready yet to have like movies that dramatize the Trump era. I mean, we're still in it. Still in the first term. This is about stuff that happened three years ago. I work in news. I, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm exposed to it, and was exposed to so much of it. It's just like I, you know, you need a little bit of uh, distance. I think between it um, didn't really do it for me. They're
1: not necessarily the same movie. I've seen neither, but I get the vibe that they cut from the same cloth. So,
2: Bombshell or Vice, what's better? Um. Bombshell is definitely better because as I mentioned on our you know our end of year show Vice is like it is obnoxiously talking down to you while th- this is just kind of like a bad movie there is some good performances in it like um, you know Charlize Theron and um, Nicole Kimmon are very good uh, John Lithgow was really good as Roger Ailes like he's you know he's been great at being a creep for going on 40 years now Um and is excellent in this. Uh, Kate McKinnon's very good. So yeah, it's just more that like it's a bit messy. I know there's I haven't seen it, but I know that there is a TV show, a Roger Ellis TV show with Russell Crowe. Yeah, he won. And I kind of feel like it needed more. This needed to be stretched out. Like it's a pretty short movie as well. Um, he won
1: the Golden Globe for I think it's called The Ladder's Voice or something. Yeah, he I looks like so. a fucking cartoon character in it. But I'm told by a good friend of the show, Joshua Hughes, that it's actually a great show. I saw one clip of it when I was in Toronto in Josh's actually last year. And it, to me, in the five seconds, which was the closing of the show, I was like, what the fuck is this? And he was like, no, 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 I swear it's actually very, very good. So I don't know. We'll see. I revisited an old movie on my continual uh, my continual Tony Scott, Denzel Washington rewatch season that I've randomly fallen into. I watched Man on Fire, which came out in 2004, I believe. Yes. Revenge thriller in which he plays John W. Creasy, a alcoholic ex-Special Forces man with a dark past who becomes a bodyguard for adorable Dakota Fanning in Mexico City where kidnappings arrive. You know where it's going to lead. And ultimately, I was I remember this coming out at the time and I remember it like very quickly becoming a bit of a cult hit. It is well regarded by a lot of people. Your average Joe on the street, I know from working for Joe and seeing anytime it's on TV, people are always very happy to see it on there. I was quite surprised to see that it has a thirty nine percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. This movie is got it a, that low. Yes it is. Oh wow. It got a fucking kicking. It got a lot of good reviews, but it when it got bad reviews, it got bad reviews. Now I can to be fair, um it's very guilty of like Latter day Tony Scott. The kinetic visuals are out of control.
2: My my I, I saw it when it came out in the cinema and have not seen it since. I remember when it came out in the cinema, I, I used to work in UGC or what is now Cineworld when I was in college. And it was out at the same time as Old Boy and Dead Man Shoes like like a, like a hat trick of like grim revenge movies. Um but yeah, it's it's essentially looks like every every frame of it has just been bleached and like the, the reel is falling out of the projector. <laughs> it is yeah it's
1: nuts and it, uh, it it increases the more the film goes on especially towards the ending where uh, there's a certain point where I was just like Tony I just want to enjoy what's happening in the narrative and this is fucking out of control he would continue this on in films like Domino and it, where he just became so beholden to this way of doing things I think overall I mean it's a good B movie Denzel's great in it like he's just fucking effortlessly brilliant Dakota Fanning is fantastic and I will say that like you know it's a very cliched story for anyone who hasn't seen it he's assigned to be her bodyguard she wants to make friends he doesn't she cracks away at his tough exterior in that first error because it does take an hour before like the main plot of the film on the back of your dvd box yeah. kicks in dude i was a fucking emotional wreck oh, really? i was in
2: pieces <laughs> who who play your parents again like can you guess i want to say like Rada mitchell correct okay and cole hauser <laughs> mark anthony
1: Okay, ex Mr. Jennifer Lopez, oh
2: wow, Latin singing
1: sensation Mickey Rourke's in this movie. Um, well, yeah, and Christopher honestly, Walken. Christopher
2: is, Walken has the line in it. The line. The line. Chrissy's, odd is dead, <laughs> and right now he's about to paint his masterpiece. Yeah. That so so that sorry, and then he says, "That's all I got to say," yeah. and then that's
1: him out of the movie.
2: Well, it's like one of the great <laughs> mic drops, and that I remember. The, I remember that. I remember that, like the cinematography and the editing. And then I don't know. If, does he stick a grenade in a dude's ass? It's a bomb. It's a it's a makeshift okay. bomb. And then like they're
1: the only things I remember of the movie. He runs on a timer, and he's like, you know, <laughs> you got a wish, and the guy's like, he's like, he's like, I wish, I, I wish you had more time. Uh, like Denzel's amazing in it. He's fucking
2: He's like, basically like Lee Marvin. It's yeah. kind of like the way he's pitched.
1: We're having this conversation off mic. I would watch him in anything, just uh, like anything. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna go watch a bunch of like not good Denzel movies to just see, see more of him. So it,
2: we, we were saying, for everyone who wasn't privy to the uh, conversation in, in your kitchen. In my just, kitchen, <laughs> in <yeah>. <laughs> your, <laughs> That you asked me, is he the best actor of all time? And I said, he's probably the most watchable actor. I think I'm definitely Like, I could you, watch yeah. him in anything.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he's in the Cohen brother? What, the singular he, Coen?
2: In the upcoming Joel Cohen adaptation of Macbeth, playing Macbeth alongside um, Frances McDormand as Lady, Macde- Lady Macbeth and Brendan Gleeson. As uh, the king, I will say I
1: very much enjoyed Man on Fire. It is too long. It is too excessive. By the end of the film, you're just exhausted. But it does have great moments in it, and it did get me at times. And also, what I didn't realize was because I wasn't terribly into them at the time when I saw it in the cinema. Nine snails all over this movie, man. Oh, really? The mark has been made. Is linked in several times. Yeah, it's in the opening kind of credits, and it comes back at the end when, when you know when shit goes down. But again, like you're like it's spliced in with all that crap like Lisa Gerrard stuff that his brother used in Gladiator. This is like it's so operatic, oh, it's so kind of. Are you gonna do an impression of this? No, it, it, <laughs> it,
2: it, it, it's that Ridley Scott would continue to use it. It's like kind of like eastern mysticism chanting
1: is that what you're talking about it's kind of like if enya was like on set for the day yeah just yeah, think yeah. of the end of gladiator and that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. oh, and like okay. it works in a certain tone but in this one the tones are just everywhere but anyway apart from that two more movies before we get to uh, 30 seconds well, to we mind. might as
2: well go from one movie set in mexico city to another movie partially set in mexico city
1: starring as the opening credits to test Khalid brackets dj Khalid <laughs> Khalid this is, of course, Bad Boys for Life. We went to see it not twenty four hours ago before this recording. Now, I guess it was, is this the part where I apologize? Is it because I've 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 gotten some feedback that some listeners were upset that on the end of your episode I I clowned on this movie. On you
2: bodied you bodied
1: Bad Boys for oh. Life. I said it it was going to be terrible. I had a one euro bet on with my housemate in which I said it wouldn't clear twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The reviews came out, and it first reviews were ninety percent. It's currently on seventy five or seventy six. And, yeah, listen, this is where I... Mea culpa. It's really
2: fucking good. Yeah, it was immensely enjoyable. Shockingly. I went in <laughs> with low, low, low expectations. And, yeah, just for, like from the get-go, we were laughing i don't think i can't think and of a time yeah. when you and i have gone to see a movie because we normally not tend at, to see not great movies not at
1: the film we need to clarify here yeah like, it's genuinely l-
2: it's funny it was intending to be funny and we were like agreeing with it by laughing there was a few
1: moments in particular like to, even like as the film goes on like there's that bit on the airplane which is fucking brilliant martin yeah. lawrence is really funny in this movie
2: yeah he's incredible
1: it felt very as it should it felt very late 90s early 2000s it was a pleasure to see fucking practical gunshot wounds, as horrific as that makes me sound. Cause, you know how... Because it's gone so, like, crappy CGI fucking blood, whatever. Like, it, it felt practical. The The casting was good. Lots of actors I'd never seen before. The plot is absurd, but in a good way. It was compelling. Everyone's... It felt like it was made with heart in a weird way. Like, it, like it, listen, it's not... It's not... that's not... I'm not saying that it's fucking, you know... Uh, I don't want to say Citizen Kane, because everyone says Citizen Kane. It's not the third man, okay? <laughs> but it's the third bad boys movie and I'll take it fourth
2: yeah um, I'd like you know I'd like to like see it fo- I always bring it back to like I want to see it like folded into the fast franchise now or something oh, they, like, they've taken so th- much from some, that as well yeah I mean they clearly have and I, I'm I'm sure that like some of the fast movies it's like an Ouroboros where the fast movies were taking something from like the original bad boys and even to an extent bad boys 2 because by the time bad boys 2 came out we were probably only at like two fast and furious movies and um, that level of like excess that they brought to the certainly the second one um yeah no I'd, I'd, I'd happily watch another um I think it actually it worked really well that it had been 17 years since the, the since the last one so like they kind of really got to like do well like a lot of the jokes were like passage of time and like it wasn't quite necessarily getting too old for this ship but like there was an undercurrent of that um yeah great great surprise
1: it manages to work within the cliches and confines of every action movie you've ever seen before every buddy cop movie you've ever seen before but somehow and for a series that was not known for sentimentality and heart they managed to weave it in, in and this is like this is a january popcorn movie but yeah i mean if you go in with the right amount of expectations it, it'll, it might it might even just fucking exceed
2: them yeah and i wonder actually it's interesting that like uh, they obviously passed up on doing it to do Six Underground and how bad Six Underground was and like how um, desperate Six Underground was to be funny and how unfunny and like disgusting that film <laughs> was. And yeah, and then you get like Bad Boys 3, um, two Belgian directors, did a great job.
1: Yeah, yeah. And finally, the film that is going to win Best Picture at the Oscars, 1917, you saw before I did, this is Sam Mendes' World War One drama, shot by Roger Deakins, given the effect of it being all done in one take, although there are cuts, and then there are also lots of cuts that you can try and spot if you're into that kind of thing, uh, a lot of prestige about this thing even before it fucking came out, it tells the story of two soldiers who are given an impossible mission, by one of many distracting cameos in this movie, they are played by the soldiers are played by Dean Charles Chapman of Game of Thrones fame and George McKay, who I have not seen before, but he he's been in a bunch in, of indie movies,
2: I believe. Yeah, he was in Sunshine and Elite, Dexter Fletcher's Proc- uh, uh, Proclaimers. He's in Captain she Fantastic in. as well, I think. Yeah, and he's in the upcoming uh, Ned Kelly movie that Justin Kurzel, who did Macbeth.
0: Oh, did. okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, so this is going to win Best Picture. I, do you think so? Oh yeah. Well, it won the producers Guild of America one, and it just it just smacks of Oscar. It just smacks of like the kind of thing that the Oscars likes. And for me, I it yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, if anything, I was like, all right, like it didn't do a lot for me.
2: Yeah, I think that it's a like it's a stunning, it's a stunning achievement in terms of production design. Um, like locations um, you know geography of like knowing where you are in the film and obviously like camera work it's basically just like Roger Deakins probably the greatest of all time completely just let go wild Um, so visually like very very strong but what is it all in service of
1: Paper thin script. I like the idea though, which is why it's frustrating. I think it's I think it's a great premise. You know, it's a great story. It's clearly inspired by the Battle of Marathon and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it just I don't know. And I I just didn't. I kept waiting to be immersed. The production design is amazing, obviously. But at the same time, every time something was on screen, whether it was just like No Man's Land or a trench or whatever, it it I couldn't shake the feeling that I was seeing a production. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was seeing money being spent on the screen it didn't feel like uh mick pope made a really good point that like this is the most inhumane war that has ever been fought where's the fucking mustard gas where's trench foot where's actual horrors like there's a scene earlier on with two lads going to this kind of mound and one that puts his hand on a corpse and you know his hand goes into the corpse and you're like oh gross but then there's like a skull embedded into the muck and to me it was just like it felt like a theme park. It felt like, you know, like a team building exercise that, that that some company would pay for. Like, nightmare theme park. It was just like, this is all really well done and really well polished, but it's too polished. I don't feel anything. I felt nothing.
2: Um, yeah, I, n- at no stage did I, like... I kind of feel... Did, did you feel that it, it, the fact that it's, like, supposed to be... I think it's, like, it's supposed to be two takes. Or to give the impression of it being two. Because there is a, there's a clear point
1: there's a fade to black halfway through yeah
2: Um, did you feel like the the lack of editing like it took away the tension like I think Mendes clearly made it because he was just like this is a an A to B so we're just going to go with them uh, from A to B but like there's a reason that you edit stuff and there's so much like you know in Seinfeld it's like Yada yada, like you know, they, you know they have to get from one point to the next point before something can happen, and everything in between that, which is like essentially just them chatting, and you know this is supposed to be where you're growing closer to the to the characters, just wasn't there at all. Um Also, the fact that there is no cutting, so you can't progress time, leads to some utterly wild um, Deus Ex Machina moments where. You know, people just appear out of nowhere. Uh, like, vast amounts of people appear out of nowhere. Like, And, you know, you don't hear them there's coming.
1: One, there's one scene where that's particularly comical. It's like the fucking Cloverfield monster sneaking up on TJ Miller at the end of <laughs> Cloverfield. Like, what? But no, I mean, like, yeah, I guess it's just, I just didn't really, I don't, I just kept waiting for it to, to click and to feel it. And I never did. And it's like, first of all, there's like five big name actors peppered about this movie that appear and then are now i'm not going to name the names in case you haven't seen the thing who, yet, who but are like far
2: more interesting
1: some of them than- also just literally turn around and it's like you expect it to be like hey kids it's that one you know applause and that was that takes you out of the movie uh i don't know I, nothing surprised me and uh, there's there's moments where it tries to surprise you and i, I saw everything coming and this isn't movie like oh i'm so fucking well versed in movies i was just like i know where this is gonna go I, and it did and that shouldn't necessarily take away from it I, I don't know I'm just I'm a little bit baffled by people c- proclaiming this to be a masterpiece and
2: I think and I will put my hands up and say that I'm guilty of it there's there's a real kind of uh, fetishization of both Roger Deakins and the one shot one perfect shot one take the one and I like one as much as the next person you know like but in moderation like one of my favorite films old boy has a very very famous one shot but it serves a purpose its purpose is to you know show you how desperate this person is in a fight and like how they're slowly being broken down in this it's kind of just showing off like and at times when it's showing off it is pretty breathtaking like the there there is a scene with flares that is One of the best things Deacon has ever filmed.
1: It is, but I also... And this feels churlish and dumb, but I feel like he's done better. Sicario... Like, I like he, I- Jesse James, like he's done better. Like he's, I guess it's not really fair to do that, but I, I just kept being like, this is obviously amazing because it's Deakins and whatever. But like, you know, you've done better, mate. He's gonna win an Oscar, and I'm like, great, cool. I mean, like, he gets another Oscar, like overdue. He gets I, two, do, in three I do, years. Find,
2: I do find, like, I find it weird that it'll be like we awarded much kind of like Scorsese for The Departed, which again, like, is a good film, and you know, deserved it in the fact that it was a good film, but it's like. That's what we gave it to him for, and Deakins is like, he'll have to when we gave it to him for Blade Runner, and we gave it to him for this.
1: It's Pacino's end of a woman, like, yeah. I mean, this, this is how it works. But then,
2: like, you know, who cares about
1: the Oscars? I will say, I'm hopeful that Bong Joon-ho will win Best Director. I think 1917 is going to win Best Movie. Look, it's fine. I think
2: Mendes is, is locked on for Best Director. Is he? I would I would have a bit of hope for Parasite, just because the, it got a Screen Actors Guild it Award. Might, yeah, and yeah. I think the largest part of the voting body would be Actors and we're also working with um we're in election time so um it's basically first past the post and everyone except for best picture which is preferential ballots that means that you number them one to ten so they need to get a certain amount so that's why they say that like a lot of kind of beige films like green book um or the shape of water will win um it's Best like a picture pa- Because it's someone will be like Yeah that was fine I'll a, give it my five It's a passive victory you know, I yeah. didn't hate it uh, I di- didn't love it Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: th- I've said it before On No Encore This is what happened The year I was a, I was in the choice panel Like that's how That's how the the winner of that year won. And I've heard numerous years being the same, kind of like the one that everyone can agree on, essentially, what unites the room. Uh, I guess we're not going to get into big Oscar talk here, but our next episode will be hopefully immediately after the Oscars. So we'll go through all the results. Um, Last thing on 1917, go see it. Go see it on a big screen because, you know, like it's worth the visual. And also one more criticism of it, like it just felt like a fucking video game to me. All beat for beat, like it's video game, like little kind of like. I know you have this item, go here, and I was just like, eh, I don't
2: know. I will send it to you. I, I someone reviewed it on Letterbox as a um, as a video game, but like achievements unlocked, and it was <laughs> absolutely incredible. Okay, also absolutely incredible. The career of Thirty Seconds to
1: Mars. It's time, everybody, to delve into the documentary on Thirty Seconds to Mars. It's called Artifact. Let's have a quick listen. As a reminder of what they're all about, this song is called Night of the Hunter. Okay, so that's 30 seconds to Mars. As alluded to, you didn't want to do this. You said to me, I don't have a lot to say. So uh, naturally, I'm going to have to just throw immediately to you
2: uh, about the whole damn thing. The whole damn thing. Um, it's a very, very self-centered <laughs> piece piece of art that Jared Leto has, has released here. Yeah. Um, how familiar are you with the band? They're around since nineteen ninety eight. As 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 I mentioned, like I'm I'm conscious of them. I know that they exist, and apart from like one song, "The Kill," um, which isn't terrible, it's probably their best song. But it should be said. Look, I'm I'm no fan. I don't. Think they're very good. But how, they're- how were you able to uh, craft such a? Uh, good playlist
1: <laughs> they're the ones that I like, can tolerate I suppose and they're mostly singles I recall years and years ago being in a mates gaff and he was like did you know that Jarrod has a band here here's this song and it was attack was and it
2: like a m- m- moment
1: in Garden State <laughs> <laughs> no not quite <laughs> but I was like oh I was like that's not as bad as I thought it would be and you know it, like I'm very fucking surface level with some of these tracks This kind of they're not metal. they're kind of alt rock I guess but you know they're you, quite emo yeah they're definitely touching the angels and airwaves kind of vibe slight left to feel mechanical romance i guess um i mean listen for someone who rattles on all the time about how much he fucking adores slipknot went to see them recently it was obviously amazing i don't want to question anyone's fandom on anything anyway even without the slipknot qualifier there for some reason but i will say and there's lots of shots in the opening of this movie i am a little bit baffled by like 30 seconds to mars fanatics because i'm kind of like this is it for you this kind of like cheap u2 knockoff really
2: yeah like they they remind me of kind of a more emo version of like latter-day muse but without the bombast maybe like they 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 definitely have emo in them they they have kind of some proggy elements but they're pretty like dull they're not like even like fun in a proggy way yeah but they're big i mean they're massive like Like, i I wasn't (laughs) actually aware of how big a band they were i kind of just i knew that they were a bit more than clearly like you know actor has side project i knew it was like a genuine thing that he pursued and you yeah know,
1: the main thing here to get at is like this isn't fucking dog
2: star and keanu reeves this is a
1: legitimate side project that is arguably as successful as Jared geraldette's
2: film career it's well apart from i suppose having an oscar but like i would say far more successful than this film. okay that's interesting well it just in terms of like touring and you know they have a world record for most shows on one tour and like they they're they're big, I was like, "Oh, okay, are they just like playing small places like they play the three arena here, which is you yeah. know which." Blew my mind. I was like, <laughs> "Is there twelve thousand people in Ireland who would pay hard-earned cash to go see Thirty Seconds to Mars?" Apparently, apparently so. so yeah. yeah,
1: big time. They played. I uh, was it Oxygen years ago or something, and like you know, I think they did the Hot Press signing tent. And I mean, like Jared Leto is obviously the poster boy, and he helps with this kind of thing. But ultimately, they are a draw. They're 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 a fucking draw, and they're a continuing thing. They had an album out in twenty eighteen. It was not good. What? America. America. With yeah. their edgy album covers. So this artifact came out in, I want to say 2012? 2013. 2013, okay. So I remember a friend of mine telling me about it, and I disbelieved that it was even a thing. And then even the, the name of it, I was like, well, none of this really adds up. So I found it. I have somehow
2: now seen this film about five times. That is genuinely worrying. It's not acceptable, is it? It's not. like I mean, this is, this is only the second documentary that we've done. Can and I like, explain... Yeah, of course he can. So I
1: had the first viewing, obviously, and I was kind of baffled, and it was very much like I have to show this to someone. And I ended up showing it to a mate and watching it with him. And then that may have happened one more time. Then I recall when I was head stuff music editor, and I was going through a particularly rough fucking flu. So this was addled. I was addled. I did like a thing for head stuff called like minute by minute, and I went through this thing and I rewatched it, and I paused it every minute and did like a, a, a wry commentary in text form of what was on the screen and no yeah i'm not saying it was one of my better ideas and now i've rewatched it for this so i i don't know i mean like, i guess my relationship with this one is that like i wish i didn't have such a committed relationship but i do i don't think i'm ever going to watch it again
2: you don't know how to quit it
1: apparently not no so i guess how would you sum up this documentary because to me it's a game of two halves
2: yeah it's um it was, I think, originally conceived as they wanted to do a kind of behind the scenes uh, when they were recording their their new album, the album that would become This Is War. Um, but at that time, they were also trying to get out of their contract uh, with EMI. They'd signed it in, I think, 1999. Uh, very much, you know, a new band, the terms were quite terrible. and. They wanted to break away and sign with another label, so they basically um, incited something called the de Havilland Law, or it's it's, it's known as that after uh, Olivia de Havilland, a, a Hollywood actress in the 1940s, who tried to get out of her contract with Warner Brothers, um, stating that California law says that you can't be in a contract for over seven years. So they... They thought that this would get them out of EMI. Um, EMI responded by suing them then for $30 million. Dr. Evil level of money, yes. And that's kind of that side of it. But then, I guess to pad out the documentary, um, they have brought in a lot of talking heads like um, Chester Bennington, Brandon Boyd, uh, Dan Leviton, Neil Strauss and Serge Tankian from System of a Down to talk about the music business in general.
1: Yeah, and I actually appreciated that. I was like, that's interesting stuff. Now, granted, everyone is pro 30 Seconds tomorrows and sympathetic to their cause. Of course. There's almost no one who
2: challenges them. Actually, there's literally no one who challenges them at all. Um, Even Daniel Elk, the guy who founded Spotify, doesn't really... No, he's just to- kind of happy to be there, I suppose. <laughs> yeah.
1: But no, I, I think the film didn't do a good enough job for me of, of explaining the whole De Havilland thing. Because it just basically says, we're fighting the label. And it doesn't quite explain what they want. It's clear that they want out, but they don't really explain that very well.
2: Yeah, they just they're just like we're getting uh screwed over here and we we want out. One of the things that kind of really irks me about it is that it, you know, obviously this is Jared Leto directing uh, a movie about Jared Leto. Hey, spoiler, mate the name of the, the according oh, to the oh, film. Oh, sorry. Was directed by Bartholomew Cubbins, the yep. pseudonym of Jared why, Leto. Why bother with the pseudonym? Um, I can, I can, I can give you what he said. Um, I think it was in a, in a interview with IndieWire. He said it's something I started doing about ten years ago when I started directing. I wanted to have uh, anonymity, working freely without any kind of perceived notions or constraints. It was just some privacy. So instead of putting my own name on projects I was directing, I used the name Bartholomew Cummins. Now, no one is called Bartholomew Cummins. If you, if you want to be anonymous. Pick a, you know, pick a pretty standard name. I know what 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 is the, you know, um, um, David O'Reilly of of you know North America. Find something very standard. You know, you're you're drawing attention to yourself by calling yourself that. Reminding me of like Ted Danson and Kirby Enthusiasm, like donating the hospital wing as anonymous and then like telling everyone that you're anonymous.
1: <laughs> it's very Jarla thing to do though. So this thing starts off, and like I guess one of my first notes here is I love how stupidly dramatic this is.
2: Immediately frames it, um, financial crisis, you know, um, like Obama inauguration. It's just like, it's like, whoa, relax, immediately, straight off the bat. But
1: there's the, it is that thing that you alluded to before, where obviously, you know, great documentaries come out of this where you're, you're you're doing one thing, but then something else happens and you follow that instead, like, you know, Capturing the Freemans uh, some kind of monster, whatever. I I have my reservations about their kind of like, we just wanted to show ourselves making the album. I'm like, I'm, know, the whole thing feels very staged and as these things often are. But there's these little things, because like the, the split narrative is, yes, you got all these talking heads talking about the industry as the overarching narrative of 30 Seconds Tomorrow's Being Sued plays out. But the other thing that you get here is, like, lots of spending time with 30 Seconds to Mars and their wacky antics together. So they know early on, and they try and set it up that they're, that they're in trouble. They're like, we got to we got to pay for this out of our own pocket, guys. And I'm like, yeah, but you're a fucking millionaire movie star. He says, we had to finance it ourselves. So we hired Flood and set up a studio in a basement in the Hollywood Hills. Well, wow, how relatable!
2: Yeah, Flood, who <laughs> is... You know, a producer for like Depeche Mode, I think. No You too. PJ Harvey, I think. He's one yeah. legendary one producer. Of, so not cheap, you know. Not no cheap fucking at way. All. Yeah. Um, not going to a studio, essentially like building a studio in a house in the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. From scratch, you know, you might want to take a look at your costs. <laughs> <laughs> but I just and the film crew working for free, I suppose. Like, what the fuck? And filming a lot. Apparently M- the more like multiple camera setup as well. Not not a, it's not just like one lad with a camera. It was like a couple of people. Yeah, on the road,
1: like in the gaff, in board meetings, down to Mexico City, Miami. All happening, yeah. yeah. So I mean like is it well made? Is this well made? The times and when it is and the times when it isn't. The audio just drops out randomly at times and it's Well, none. you're
2: talking about a film that's like it's shot on digital camera, so it doesn't look very good. Um yeah, the audio drops out, the syncs aren't great. It is edited pretty clunkily. Like it, uh, the one, the one moment where it attempts like a flourish is like this weird, you know quadruple split screen with all which are leto two of which are like him having separate conversations on the phone so it looks like he's talking to himself <laughs> it's like this this is your artistic flourish that was your very one much, artistic flourish in this movie i don't think that was well like, at all
1: that was very much like you know hey guys remember who this is really about yeah me <laughs> so hang on uh okay perhaps a, a more uh straightforward question is it blatant propaganda
2: yes um well, oh, I was going to get to earlier when I was talking about the uh, the, the Haviland Law. They kind of put forward in this, like again, like they don't they don't really say what they want. Like I think they wanted to sign with Universal. I think I think that's their idea. That's
1: who they're currently with.
2: Yeah, and they you know they end up basically breaking, uh, getting out of their EMI contract, but re-signing with EMI contract. Uh, to 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 release this is war but when it comes to the de Havilland law they kind of put it forward like they kind of had found this out they'd, they'd found the loophole that they were they're like oh we went back into the vault and we we saw that Olivia de Havilland like she broke out away from Warners so many people have used invoked this in the music industry Metallica tried it in 1994 Don Henley has done it Luther vandross has done it this isn't new but the way that it's framed in the movie it makes it seem like 30 Seconds to Mars like that they wanted now to be like the 30 Seconds to Mars law
1: oh they're not they're trying to be like the Jean-Marc Bosman of the alt pop wave yes. of the <laughs> mid to late 2000s so hang on a uh, quick refresher on the band themselves they were once a four or five piece people have left over the years when this was filmed they were a three piece and it's Jared Leto who I've written here is the fucking Dirt Worst shannon leto his older brother on drums who is big
2: big johnny drama vibes off shannon leto
1: (laughs) creep fucking creep mugging for the camera gross sunglasses indoors trilby hats he's fucking vile he's vile very 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 hd eyebrows johnny drama is pretty much spot on it it, 100 and then in between you have tomo Milicevic, a guitarist who seems like a nice enough guy He's, yeah. a bit, he's a bit, like, energetic, but he seems like a nice dude. He's since left the band, by the way, presumably <laughs> finally having had enough. He's also the brother of Ivana Milichevich, who you've seen in a ton of fucking movies, including Casino Royale as Le Chiffre's main squeeze. So. Yeah, She had a Hollywood career for, like, 25, 30 years.
2: Um, Proud parents, the Milichevichs. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. So, yeah, they're... they're the, you're just the, exasperated already not, this is not, fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> just to talk about to about shannon for a minute like he is immediately so obnoxious just like yeah it's it's the sunglasses indoors uh the self aggrandizing in this movie is like absolutely insane i think there's you know they're talking about how the band was formed and uh you know the the latter brother is.
1: Oh, sorry. Is this is this when we get the sensitive music over the Shannon's
2: bad boy past montage? Well, when he was just like, uh, so you know what were you doing before Three Seconds to Mars? And he was like, oh, I was doing uh, construction. I was uh, breaking the law. <laughs> it's like <laughs> get out of here, will you? <laughs> and they, uh, you know, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to like fully criticize uh, the background because like. They say that they had a tough upbringing, and if they say that, I you know, you have to take it at face value. But like they mentioned food stamps like seventeen times, yeah. Yeah, like Jarrah's like we climbed out of the banks of the Mississippi with our only our instruments and our food stamps and then like they have lots of like footage of them when they were younger and they looked like they had were like really happy kids and like they had they were surrounded by like had a great support network and like there was like musical instruments in the house. I don't know. I'm just like is this like kind of um um like misery porn on, on their behalf it's just like oh didn't we have it so so hard um, like I don't know there's there's a lot sorry lot it's, of yeah that. it's my Louisiana hell yeah exactly Jared Leto. <laughs> back page of The Sun
1: like <laughs> fucking hell yeah no I mean like, yeah take them at face value their mother is interviewed she had kids when she was young she seems like a nice lady yeah absolutely and uh, somehow is raised to sociopaths for, for successful all, all, all <laughs> the same uh, yeah you, you get those moments I guess we should probably give a flavour of what we're seeing on the screen and like I guess no better time to throw to uh, a tense moment in the studio between the Leto Brothers in which Shannon inexplicably forgets how to play drums there's way too much inconsistency with velocity going up and down too much on the hits yeah I'm humans I know and that's why I'm trying yeah. to get you to bo- do, doo 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 so it could be more consistent. I mean, the reality is, reality is, is we that- We haven't practiced it. Right. If you practiced it for a few days, I bet you could do it. OK. We may need to move on to a different song and have you practice this a little bit every day. And then we come back and play it two weeks, three weeks from now. Because you're just not flowing. No, yeah, I'm doing what i can
2: do, man. Well, think of a different beat. we got to record the song. This is we the can beat. throw the song out, or we can try it. This to... is the beat, though. What do you want me to do? I can't sing it right now. You couldn't pay me all the money in the world to sing this song the way it needs to be sung right now. I'm not ready.
1: So there you go, man. It's just like me and you doing the podcast. I often say to you, I feel like if you just
2: practiced it, man, (laughs) you'd get it, yeah? Jared is so condescending, because there's there's even a scene where... um tomo is like is trying to play something to a to a click track he's trying to play a slicer on the guitar which throws off the click track
1: because that's what it does and jared's like here give me the guitar and he fucks it up worse (laughs) and then he's like i think between the two of us we just got it there man i'm like no neither of you did As, as someone who played drums and couldn't play to a click i know what it's like to not get the click you guys were fucking nowhere near it and yeah jared's just overbearing and horrible and passive aggressive and awful but yeah it's hard to get that out of my system please please return to the to the Leto sibling rivalry.
2: Yeah, I just it's like it was it's the the like manufactured tension in it is ridiculous. Do you think that scene is totally staged? I mean it's hard to tell. I like I haven't I have I have listened to your your playlist. It's kind of hard to tell how good a drummer Shannon Leto is. He 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 definitely he's a very performative drummer like he he looks like a drummer. You know the drummers who like they They really sell every hit, like you know the the arm goes all the way up to the sky before it comes crashing down <laughs> on a symbol he's that kind of drummer, so it's it's probably not within you know it's out the realms of possibility that he can he was play, fucking up a lot and yeah
1: no, he can play drums uh he's very basic you've nailed it he is he's a visual looking guy he gets into it, he's epic. He's not unique. His fills and everything, they're just straightforward. They suit the songs for what they are, these bombastic whatever the fuck, but he's never making a top 1,000 list. It's just not going to happen. Like, he gets... He's a journeyman. He's he's, he's a... You're saying
2: you could take him. You could take him on the skins. I
1: haven't played drums for about five (laughs) or six years. I'm desperate to get back to it, so let's do a drum-off between me and Chan Leto. in like, I don't know, the fucking Sugar Club in Dublin. Like, (laughs) what a a draw. Uh, But that sequence is just, like, a combination of one feels like they were, like shit we need some drama let's get this going but also i can totally buy jared leto being that horrible and cold and just like condescending and patronizing to his to his older brother who of course is like i I can't mess up this gig man it's all i got otherwise i'm gonna go back and break the law again (laughs) i guess (laughs) He was in a fucking episode. Shannon was in an episode of The Hills. Was he? There was like, uh, don't judge me, but there was once a time in my life when I was hung over on a couch for like an entire Sunday and I was like, I guess I'm watching The Hills. And there was, I went from being like, this is the absolute worst thing of all time. Society is grumbling to like being like, oh man, I hope Audrina like can find a man. Like she's just had such a bad time. <laughs> but there's a sequence in which Audrina in the show goes on like a series of dates and they like, talk about the most staged thing of all time. Like she goes on a series of dates with like four different kind of musician lads. I think one of them was in like Motley Crue or something. One of them is Shannon fucking Leto. Oh, boy. Opposite her in a booth with his incredible eyes and his leather jacket and lots of makeup. So there you go.
2: And again, his incredible eyebrows—they're very Colin Farrell-esque. Yeah, They're, the Colin Farrells are natural. They look like, as I said, when I say HD, I mean boys had some work done on them brows.
1: Okay, well, we can't confirm nor deny, and we won't get into any legal trouble on that one. <laughs> uh, I guess probably a good time to ask: Are thirty seconds tomorrow sympathetic at all?
2: Um, for for a movie where they are, you know, going up against a the man. The man, not only going up against uh, EMI, like a big label who are screwing them over, you know, as as they are trying to renegotiate, um, EMI is bought by a private equity firm, Terra Firma. Run by? Um, Arch villain. Guy Hands. Guy Hands. So, you know, it kind of, it's supposed to be them against the Faceless Corporation, but they go out of their way to try and put a face... On this corporation, obviously it's run by Guy Hans, it's kind of weird that they do this because he, he clearly has nothing to do with what is happening to them. He probably never even knew. His his, his private equity firm bought EMI and, you know, um, as private equity firms do, they come in and they're like, where can we cut costs and where can we make more money? He has people to do that. It they 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 keep cutting to him as if he is the puppet master, as if he is clearly doing this. I don't know why I'm defending the owner of a private equity firm. But. <laughs> it's very very on
1: brand like anytime like 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 I always have to edit those seconds out of the show when you you just go off and one about that.
2: You know, but listen man, he's just like us. Yeah, he is not he, he is like us. Can I can I tell you something about sure, him? Sure, hit me, yeah. Um, he's dead right is he dead no he is he is alive okay. um, so so in the movie they said that he made his he made his he made his his money in life he bought up petrol stations across America and you know what he did he cleaned the toilets and then people started spending more money in them um, he has owned UCI and Odeon and William Hill none of this is that interesting to me but <laughs> I googled him and he gave he gave an interview to Market Watch two years ago where he talked about his addiction to roast potatoes and gravy a true (laughs) British man loves his roast potatoes and gravy he said if I went to a restaurant I'd ask for roast potatoes and gravy I'd eat 10 roast potatoes easily forget the rest just give me roast potatoes and gravy he had hypnosis to try (laughs) and and kick his roast potatoes and gravy habit did it work? um, he said, uh, I don't know, he, he's currently, at the time, I haven't got an update on it, that he he was doing that. So, after I learned this, I was like, you know, I like a potato. He's, he's clearly more uh, relatable now to me than Jared Leto. So, <laughs> it's quite hard to find uh, them sympathetic. At the end of the movie, it
1: says... Guy Hans declined to be interviewed for this film.
2: It's like, why would he? <laughs> He's
1: too busy to the <laughs> local restaurant, mate.
2: <laughs> I just have this image of a man, like, Partridge-style driving to Dundee <laughs> <laughs> in a kind of gravy haze. That's gross. Okay, I mean, in fairness, like, you ask, we ask,
1: are they sympathetic? What do you guys decide? Feeling a pushami. Yeah, I'm feeling a pushami. You take the rock of your choice, Or a boulder, depending on how big your issue is. And you throw it over the precipice. And when you throw it, you you scream and you let go of this particular aspect of of who you are or something in your life that's plaguing you. um, And you leave it behind. And, and, um, well, we're going to do it right now. I'm going to start, or you want to? I'll go first. Yeah, you go first. Let's see what you got. just heard someone say ouch so that's Jared Leto and Toma Milicevic doing some good old fashioned zen based therapy atop the Hollywood Hills fucking rocks down presumably like clocking someone in the side of the head people live in the Hollywood Hills? (laughs) (laughs) not as many as there used to be apparently clearly not you also get that scene where like, they're standing there together and Jared's like I think I came up with the name of the album (laughs) and Toma's like yeah go on this is war <laughs> you're just like
2: whoa <laughs> and and for for an album that has you know such a strong title and there's like there's no bite to the album at all it's just like more emotive um you know emo you know uh stadium rock it's just like it doesn't fit at all.
1: Radio only Milk toast stuff. I mean, Flood is clearly here for the paycheck, and also, oh man, I feel so sorry for him. He, he he's this close to turning into Phil Tell from some kind of monster, just giving the band fucking therapy and very much being free like, legal advice. <laughs> he's like, how <laughs> he's much like money? I've seen
2: this before? Don't do this.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's weird because like Flood's obviously like you know a very kind of I suppose down to earth man. He just there's just times when he's like sitting there at the booth, and I'm like, do you know what you've got yourself into?
2: Yeah, and like, is he? Is he living in the house with them? Is have they have they just been like you can't leave the house flood? You <laughs> li- you live here now, you know. At least if it was in the studio, he could he could he could dip out and you know go home to the family. Or Has he just been you know locked up until they get it done? All two hundred days of recording, <laughs> seemingly.
1: Did you enjoy the section where Jared Leto does a narration over a clip art infused breakdown of what the artist makes in a record deal?
2: Oh, when he explains the music industry to me?
1: Yeah, he explained the music industry to us. It he, was a very nice one. It takes two and a half minutes to do this.
2: It also it, there was some, well, well I well, I don't doubt some of the things he was saying. Some of the maths just didn't add up. <laughs> he Yet he, he the start says that you get a $250,000 advance to make the album. To me that would be This covers your recording costs. This is you. If you want to make the album, here's your money. And then he later on states that they take $300,000 from you for the recording costs.
1: (laughs) I yeah I can't speak to industry politics, and I'm sure bands are. I I don't
2: deny that the the deal just that like stuck out to me. I was just like, what? How?
1: It's so dramatic though, as well. Like it's him being like, and then there's packaging costs even on digital (laughs) downloads. I'm like, all right, cool.
2: Did you enjoy the Talking head stuff?
1: Like, did you think it was good? Um, like that element of it doesn't like appeal to me as a music journalist. I would
2: I would like to hear. All those people talk about the music industry, but not necessarily from questions from Jared Leto. Um, it, they they were very, very basic. I think the first one he asks is like, why do you like music? Like, it's they're, they're very, like, going by what their responses are. It's like, why is there no money in music? And like, there there's a section where they just all start praising him. So he's just like, what, what do you like about me, Jared oh, Leto? A,
1: yeah, 25 minutes and everyone starts venerating him. They're like, this band would not be what it is. I've never seen anyone work so hard as Jared. He's up all night, he's doing everything all the time. I mean like he is 30 seconds to Mars. But no, then the talking head stuff it means like thanks, thanks guys. <laughs> you have a thing where some I guess like psychiatrist man is like Oh,
2: Daniel Levitin? Is it him? Someone says He he wrote a book called This is Your Brain on Music. Okay, and and he I says... I that book really? many many years ago. But he says and that I, like uh,
1: music is thought of as a human need. As oh, much no, no, as, that's... No, no. As that's much as <laughs> no, that's Neil Strauss.
2: No, that's Neil Strauss, because he's like, sex and music is the hierarchy of needs. And I was like, I think Maslow has a <laughs> counterpoint to that, that it is not that.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I adore music. It's, it probably is my my most favourite thing in the entire world, but I'm not sure it's a biological requirement.
2: It's not. <laughs> I <laughs> okay. think I think food and shelter <laughs> probably... A little bit of both music.
1: Let's take a taster of those talking head sections, though. Here's uh, OK frontman Damien Koulash, I think is his name. And also we'll have a bit of surge Tankian of System Down as well, just chatting about the industry. Major labels are giant cyclopses, and they have one very monstrously powerful eye right in the middle of their forehead. And when it's staring at you... You know the world is a very bright and shiny place, and when it's not,
0: there's no getting the attention of that thing.
1: If I knew a band was going to sign a major label deal, I would I would probably try to
2: dissuade them, or I would or I would at least try to figure out what they were what they thought they were going to get out of it. Increasingly, artist development is a, a term that's not even used at, at, at record companies. You know. They use the word artist development, but it's offensive to a certain point, because they don't really do that. They look at the profiles. In in the old days, it was MySpace. The profile numbers, now it's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. Can you sell ten, ten, twenty thousand 20,000 on your own without a label? And if and if so, then, then they start paying attention, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, that's not artist development. That's already signing a, an artist that's developed itself. So yeah, I did
1: enjoy those. I agree that they're one-sided. And also, can I just say, can I just say... Amanda Palmer talking about using Kickstarter your uh, friend Amanda Palmer as if it's some kind of altruistic venture that benefits the fans just as much as her is fucking hilarious Google Amanda Palmer don't actually she's I'm not gonna yeah no let's just
2: move on just just to briefly say uh, so so Neil Strauss who made the 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 comment he didn't write the is that the guy yes he wrote the game that's who that was (laughs) yeah and he also wrote The Dirt oh Yeah, there you go. Fucking horrific. Yeah, I I was. uh, Also, like,
1: Annabelle Wallace from the Tom Cruise Mummy remake pops up for five seconds or less.
2: Um, Possibly dating. Jared Leto at the I time? don't know. I wonder because
1: it's it's very strange that she's there and she's just like art's amazing and his art is incredible when they're in a Frank Lloyd Wright house like something out of Blade Runner where they're oh, chanting like they're monks or something <laughs> and again floods there in the corner with some headphones on and I'm like what the fuck is this oh yeah we've made no, some ambient noise we, the, listen lads way. we're broke we're, 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 we're absolutely broke but see in the Frank Lloyd Wright house on Tuesday yeah what it, it, it's 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 incomprehensible at times
2: yeah it's it truly truly is nonsensical um, we haven't kind of talked about the fact that we get peppered uh, with quotes from like the art of war in between it it's Sun just Tzu, like yeah the the opinion that these people have of themselves is so ridiculously inflated
1: they're making art man it's art Jared's made lots of art too of course he of course has a film career there's a section where he goes to like meet the label and he goes to New York and he's in a cab He looks, for, he's very much in his Kurt Cobain look at this stage and he's he's walking through an airport people are chasing after him there's a scene earlier in the movie where like someone finds him on a beach but there's also a moment where he's walking down the street in New York and he's saying stuff like I feel like this is my city it's just for me and then this happens I feel like this is my city in a weird way more than LA is
2: something about it yeah. Always an adventure.
0: You're in a movie. I, mm-hmm. I know you. are famous, aren't you? Uh kind of. You were in that Sometimes. really cool movie with the crazy uh, lady. Yeah, yeah. Requiem for a oh, Dream. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, oh I, my god! Oh, oh hey. my god! Oh my, I god, I god, Long, my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! You're what my your favorite movie. I'm gonna cry. You're my favorite movie in the whole. I love that movie.
1: Thank you. Oh
2: my
1: god! Oh my god! What's in that drink? Extra caffeine. So yeah, what's your favorite movie?
2: What's what's my favorite movie? Do
1: you have a favorite movie? Um, Could you name your favourite movie? I could name my favourite movie Would you forget the name of the movie?
2: I would not forget the name of the movie Strange that this person did What movie was she talking about? Requiem for a Dream. Uh, Okay, I wasn't (laughs) sure what she was even saying. (laughs) I mean, I've only watched this film once. Because she was like, "And you do that," and it was one of those ones where it's just like, "What? What is she referring to here?" You're in the movie with the crazy. Why is Requiem for a Dream your favorite film? (laughs) This, this from a man who once scarred my entire college class with a scene from Requiem for a Dream. Wouldn't call it my favorite film. A very well-made film, but not something that I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that—that's totally my favorite film."
1: Highly memorable picture. He's also standing there and he's like, that's right, I am Jared Leto. Don't get me wrong, guy probably gets hassled all the time. There's also a bit where he's talking about when he's in New York, the label cancel on him, which again just sounds kind of, I don't know if they would do that. Surely they'd rearrange for the next day or something. But he basically is like, it's okay though because I got to see some of my friends. And then that is when the film cuts to him doing a photo shoot with Terry Richardson, Ooh. and having the big thumbs up pose with this fucking horrific creep. Not a good look. One of my mates. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? <laughs> we won't say anything about Jared Leto on a legal point of view, but uh, again, Google—it's right there. Just, use, just, just Google these things, you know. Um, okay, wrapping up, uh, the film progresses. EMI cave, essentially, the good they, guys win. Yeah, kind of. It's a bit so, unclear.
2: So. EMI cave, but w- w- that, what they also don't really say is that once EMI were bought over by the private equity firm, that everyone tried to get out of EMI. Like I think McCartney was on EMI, so again, thirty seconds to Mars are quite inconsequential in the in the in the larger scheme of things for EMI and for um, Terra Firma. So, yeah, they. They they do get out, but they also then re-sign. So, did they really get out?
1: They won the moral battle, the moral chess game. Did you like the bit where Jared explained to us how ownership works? And if you're in a contract and if you're a musician, the very air that you breathe is potentially a thing. And he demonstrates it by sauntering <laughs> over to the piano and does this. said no.
2: They think that they're going to own that piece of music with me just diddling on the on.
1: Uh, on the piano. I'll do it right now, just for fun. Look. That's not yours. Not mine.
2: No, it's it's just ludicrous.
1: Lovely stuff, Jared. Thank you so much for the education. You can't have that
2: that's not yours yeah so
1: <laughs> <laughs> everything is so fucking hyperbolic and the end of the world for this rock band that will be just fine I love earlier in the movie when they uh, they win a
2: Latin MTV Grammy or I something I love how he phrases it because he's like <laughs> you know uh, you know we we're all a little little down and then we got nominated for a Latin MTV music no, I was no, like no. did not even know that no, was no, a good no, no it's even better he goes We'd all been having a bad time, but
1: then we got a phone call with some good news. (laughs) We've been nominated for a Latin MTV award. And they win it, of course, because why else would they be there? Uh, Possibly because they showed up. (laughs) And then he's like, after an unforgettable night. And it's like, unforgettable night? You went to the award show and then it shows you in your gaff, like noodling on a piano. (laughs) Maybe there was more (laughs) to it, I don't know. Um, Yeah, so essentially they get what they want effectively. And then at the end of it, it's like, EMI came crashing down. And there's a bit where like... Jared's at a concert and he's like who bought our, or who's heard our new album and how many of you downloaded it illegally and the crowd like roar and he kind of has a huh, yeah
2: <laughs> it's like ooh, point made yeah um, it's 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 kind of so um, it's kind of funny to me that after all all this battling that they did um, all this filming that the end product is this is war <laughs> Like, that's, that's what you have to show for all this hard, hard work and all these legal battles and all this stress. This is like, that was the end product.
1: Should I delete your playlist
2: or are you going to keep it? Um, Preserve it in amber. I, I'm probably not going to return to it. Although, can I ask you, what, why do they have a song with Kanye West? So they had a
1: song called Hurricane and then there's like Hurricane V2 in which Kanye West does a fairly phoned in verse, I guess.
2: Yeah. Is this like Kanye circa 808s? Where, like, the, or like, the, the the flashing lights tour Minty it? It has that vibe. Of it, but
1: so, so, yeah, was there any song on there that you kind of liked? You, you mentioned The Kill, which has the hilarious video, by the way. Did you see the video? The no. video in which they recreate The Shining.
2: Oh, clearly directed by Bartholomew Cubbins. And this is a bit
1: where Jared Leto is dancing with another Jared Leto in the corridor. And they, like, get really close. And I'm like, is he going to kiss himself? I think he is. And he doesn't. Oh, God. It's a bit
2: of a letdown. Um, that song I find moderately listenable. Okay. But that's
1: it fair enough uh you usually when you compile these things for me you usually include the rotten tomato store uh, score of the movie this one doesn't have one it's, no, very, it's it, very it didn't reviews. have a cinematic
2: release david yeah very the only way that you can watch this movie legally is on jared leto's own streaming platform uh, vert that he set up um that's how we did it <laughs> that's how we did it we got premium subscriptions so he he set up a a Uh, like a video streaming slash social media platform himself and the idea was that like you know in this movie they're clearly all about taking back ownership of your music and taking it away from the labels and taking it away from big business taking it (laughs) away from greed so he he sets up this platform (laughs) where you can I think the only things that you can watch on it are this documentary and like other 30 seconds to Mars things their idea was that like you could stream your own concerts I know it was actually something Serge Tankian talked about doing, where he was just like, "I want to reduce my carbon footprint, so I'm basically going to perform live shows, but I'm just going to do them in LA, and then you can just watch them online. But you're still going to pay me. Like it's fifteen, I think, for their shows. If you wanted to watch one of their uh, concerts, it was like fifteen dollars.
1: The man is a bold visionary. <laughs> How dare you question his <laughs> his great view of the
2: world? So, finally, what did we learn? Jared um, Leto really likes uh, himself PLO scarves
1: <laughs> oh the amount of fucking scarves
2: seriously terrible scarf
1: et- et- etiquette like, rap, like pull that up yeah there's a bit where he's on a fan boat and I was like thank God he doesn't have a scarf it, on da-
2: it dates the movie apart from you know their music dating the movie his attire like those scarves Kefia scarf just, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, won't lie
1: wore a few of them in college regret it now <laughs>
2: But yeah, that's that's kind of all I, I can take away from this movie.
1: Okay, well, fair play for Soldier on. And I guess that about does it for 30 Seconds to Mars Artifact. Would you recommend it?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, like, there's... They're... They're not a, that interesting a band. They don't have a great cultural footprint in the world. Like, they have... they Clearly, they have their fans. Um... But in the, in the in the grand scheme of things, and what, like what they're doing is not that interesting. Just briefly, uh, Olivia de Havilland. I was reading up about her, an absolutely incredible life story. So obviously, fought this case against Warner Brothers, which is pretty like monumental to do. Uh, I think she was thirty at the time. Um, won two Oscars. Dated. Um, Howard Hughes, Jimmy Stewart, and John Houston, and is still alive. She's one hundred and three. Whoa!
1: <laughs> Let's get her on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> see what she thinks about Jared Leto. Well, maybe she'll approve of the next film that we're going to do, do before you, oh, you do that. You
2: ruined my fucking link. I'm sorry. I do have a little quiz. Maybe. Oh my god! In, in You've in saved the link. <laughs> I've, it's all in, forgiven. In uh, in in honor of Jared Leto's pseudonym Bartholomew Cubbins, he also apparently directed a music video. Uh, under the name um, Which I found a little A little odd uh, Angakok Panapak Possibly a little bit of appropriation from Jared there uh, But anyway Pseudonyms in movies I
1: can't believe you've done this
2: I've done it So I'm going to give you the, the, the pseudonym Of someone All right, And I want you to give me the real name How many are there? um there's there's only like six or seven 56 (laughs) there's actually not that many settle in for Um, 25 minutes of extra peter
1: andrews peter andrews yes
2: you're looking at me like i should know this um very very famous director uses this for another role
1: i have no idea
2: Steven Soderbergh, all his movies that he is the director of photography on, got by Peter Andrews. Alan
1: Smithy. This is the one that's used by directors when they don't want their name on a movie that's terrible and/or the studio wrestles it away from them, and it's an automatic bomb. Yes. So it's been used by like multiple people for multiple films.
2: Yeah, and then sometimes like they might even do it for uh, like Michael Mann uses it and um, Martin Brest uses it for like the TV versions or like airplane versions.
1: Sure, I'll let you in a little secret here. I've often referenced that I used to work for Hot Press magazine. Hot Press Magazine has its very own version of Alan Smithy. If you see anything written in Hot Press Magazine and reviewed by the name Chris Donovan, that is an author not putting their name on the work. Now, it might be that you were given a 400-page book to review for the following morning. Yeah. Stick Chris Donovan's name on it. An album review that no one can agree on, but we got to give it a good review anyway. Chris Donovan did it. And I was like, this is interesting because when hot press released a book or the uh, going through the archive i think they're doing a youtube book a few years ago when i worked there so part of the job was to go through the yearbook and like archive all the or not the yearbook, the archive and, and pick out all these vintage articles from like the late 70s early 80s and stuff when you two were kind of coming of age and one of them in the fucking 80s was written by chris donovan so i was like wait a minute did this guy actually fucking exist and now you're using his name perhaps he's in the grave and like you're They've just stolen de- his identity you're just destroying his legacy or <laughs> was there always the need for a pseudonym mm-hmm. answers on a postcard please and also don't
2: sue me because that story is true um Roderick James. Roderick James. yes was nominated for an Oscar for editing in the 90s this is probably the most famous one I would have thought Roger Deakins no, it's the Coen Brothers. Oh, okay. So whenever they edit movies, it's Roderick James. Interesting. Mary Ann Bernard. This quiz is impossible, mate. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh again, this, when he this, edits his films.
1: I was going to say that the first one, like, even you using Soderbergh was such a Higgins thing to do, but to have him in there twice.
2: Eh. Uh, Judas Booth. No. <laughs> David Lynch uh, for June, for a, um, I think a TV version of June. Jan Jansen. So think about Jan Jansen. Where that? Where might that? A name like that come from? Uh, is this Nick is winning Um No, you're kind of. Oh, in are the these s- all directors? Yeah. Okay. All directors. Uh, Lars von Trier. No. Okay. Uh, you need to go a little bit south. Paul Verhoeven on Showgirls. Uh, again, a uh, a version that was shown on TV, a non R-rated version. Wow.
1: How long was that? Fucking half an hour. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> a nice crisp one. <laughs> Um, and then the last two are linked. Bob Robertson. So this is a foreign director made a, a famous film back in the 70s, but they didn't think that having the name of a foreigner would do well. So Bob Robertson. And the film's a big film, is it? Big film. Ugh, look, I'm, I'm not going to waste it's Western.
1: I was just thinking it might have been
2: uh, Sergio Leone. Yeah. Okay. And then... A collaborator of his, Dan Savio.
1: Again, I should know this, but it's just not coming.
2: Big Ennio Marconi oh, But he's not a director. Okay, well... You fucked me, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you got none. <laughs> no, I got Alan Smithy. Okay, you got one Yay! out of seven.
1: Excellent. That, that was the hardest <laughs> quiz that you've ever done. Right. Having bodied me with the fucking quiz, you've made a point of picking the next film. A film I've not seen. You
2: haven't. I think... I don't think you would ever watch this film if I had not picked it. You've described it as a
1: pure joy. And what are we talking about? We're talking about this. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're
0: holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future good enough yes you are maybe i'm not it's like a pipe dream this is the dream it's conflict and it's compromise it's very very exciting
2: yeah so it's uh it's la la land um our next show they've already said that we're going to talk about some post-oscars probably we're trying to record the day after the oscar so oh this, why- one, best,
1: this one best picture of course as we know
2: <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> no disputing nope <laughs> that is what happened that day <laughs> um so yeah we, we haven't yeah we haven't done a an oscar movie a big oscar movie so i think this will be a fun one um yeah i'm just kind of curious how you're gonna how you're gonna take this
1: okay yeah I, I for some reason it's just been a blocker i i enjoyed whiplash when it came out obviously made by the same director damon chazelle i like ryan gosling i like emma stone why does this
2: film put me off so much you love it i i i will say i haven't seen it since i uh first saw it whenever it came out and i reviewed it
1: you gave it five stars did I give it five? I think he gave. It I the think f- I gave a four.
2: I think he gave it the full five, boy. Ah, uh, well, unfortunately, state that he doesn't exist. Well, anymore, we're already, so I can't we're already fighting, that. man.
1: We're, we're going to have to get Norman Harold back in, I think, for this one. I think we will. Okay. Well, until then, go listen to Thirty Seconds to Mars, if you're into that kind of thing. I'll be prepping for Lala La Land by, I guess, listening to some some old standards. Is it? <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, very soon. Post Oscars, essentially. Uh, thanks very much, man. Been a pleasure. All right, that's me out. Bye bye.
0: podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Enjoy. Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. and pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.